As I mentioned earlier, uh, Matthew DeLauder is a church planner in New Orleans. Our church is partnering uh, with uh, uh, his, his congregation. Uh, it's an exciting opportunity for us to invest in the kingdom beyond ourselves. And so I'm, I'm so excited to have this opportunity to, to have Matthew here. Uh, his wife, Annie, is here. And uh, he's got three little ones, uh, uh, Bryson, who is uh, five, Eliana, who is two, and Patton. How old is Patton? Near, okay, nearly one, yep. So uh, it's a delight to have uh, this family uh, with us today. Uh, Matthew went to, to school at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary uh, over in Louisville. And uh, he was, his sending church is a church from Louisville. Uh, they they uh, support him in a great way, but there are other churches that help and partnering with them, and we're one of those churches. Matthew's going to tell us a little bit more about his work in New Orleans before uh, before he brings the word. So, Matthew, come on up, brother. Thank you. You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to First Peter two. That's where we'll be this morning. First Peter two. And I just want to go ahead and say uh, thank you. Uh, our family feels. Very encouraged. We have partnering churches that are really helping us uh, all over the United States. We'll actually be in Detroit next week talking to a church who's supporting us there as well. But our hearts are always greatly encouraged when we come to partnering churches. And for your church particularly, just uh, to come here and have a meal last night with some people at the church, but even to come in here this morning and shake people's hands and have people tell me that they have been praying for me. I'm just greatly humbled by that, greatly thankful for that, because we really do believe that the work that we're doing in New Orleans is impossible. It is really impossible outside the grace and power of God, and that working through His saints praying for us. Um, Some other ways I'm encouraged is just when I get to visit uh, churches throughout uh, the United States, most in the southeastern part, is to come and see your church as a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church and just to be reminded that God gathers people around Christ, that he gathers people around his gospel. And just encouraged by that. And, and, and encouraged as well for the testimony time to hear how you are bearing one another's burdens. Thank you, Miss Karen. I was just like, I don't, I don't, I don't I need to get up and preach. I mean, a testimony was greatly encouraging, just testifying to how the Holy Spirit is working in you to be more like Christ and to love one another as Christ has loved you in the gospel. So I'm very encouraged to be here, very thankful to be here. Um, As I mostly stare out over a a smaller congregation, this really just um, encourages my heart all the more to just be faithful at proclaiming the gospel and faithful at just praying and asking God of great things. And um, I think that's one thing I would say also just from Miss Karen's uh, testimony that I was reminded of. People who often have very encouraging testimonies are not afraid to ask God of impossible things. And, and I would just encourage you in that. It's my experience being a, a, a church planner and a pastor and starting from scratch and not having anything. That's how our hearts have been greatly encouraged. Just to, Well, we'll just ask the Lord of it. <laughs> Because we don't have it, we don't have the resources, we'll just ask it of it and then to see him provide. And so those, those are always the most encouraging testimonies. Well, um, I know Pastor Lonnie's already shared a little bit myself, about myself. I am 
Matthew Delauder is my wife Annie down here. We both grew up in South Mississippi, so we grew up both about two hours north of New Orleans, and um, we met in community college, and not long after that, um, I went up to Boyce College in Louisville, Kentucky, and did my undergrad there, and then went on to do my master's at Southern Seminary, and while we were there, we were part of an inner city church there called Emmanuel Baptist Church, which had been revitalized um, since about 2002, when it only had about 17 people in the church. And by the time we got there, there was about, I think, 250, close to 300. But this church had a vision for sending people out, seeing that it was in a unique place, being close to the seminary. They wanted to be able to train people for ministry and then send them out. So to this day now, I think they've sent out around 20 international missionaries and um, are constantly caring for them, seeking ways to see how they can love them even more and praying for them weekly. Um, and we were one of their first domestic church plants here in the United States. So um, we were sent out uh, from Emmanuel in June of 2015. And we went down there with another family and a single girl. So um, in August of 2015, we started meeting around our dining room table. And there was plenty more room to meet around our dining room table. But we met around that dining room ta- table knowing that we were going to be committed to the Bible, that we were going to be committed to teaching and preaching God's Word, things that we saw in Acts 2, that the people of God, the people even in the church of Jerusalem, they gathered around simple, weak means. We're going to break bread together. We're going to open God's Word together. We're going to pray together. And the Lord's going to leave us in awe and wonder. That's what He did at the church in Jerusalem. So we're just like, we're going to commit to these weak things of preaching and teaching God's Word fellowshipping and caring for one another and praying together. And those three things is, are what our church values. And, and if you come to our church service, I hope that's, that's something that's clear. It's like these people really believe in this Jesus. These people really believe in the gospel. These people really ask great things of God. So um, it's been an encouragement to our hearts uh, to be at, in New Orleans for about a year and a half and to start public services Um, And this uh, most recent June, so we've been meeting in a community center in the Treme neighborhood. If you've you've probably never heard of the Treme neighborhood, but the Treme neighborhood is one of the oldest neighborhoods in New Orleans. And the Treme neighborhood is particularly the oldest African American neighborhood in the nation. So it's a very historic neighborhood. This is where jazz music came out of. And um, since I grew up in Mississippi and grew up around a lot of racism. Since I'd been a Christian, one of the burdens of my heart was to see blacks and whites or whoever gather around the gospel in unity. And especially in this time to see our nation in such a great divide over things that can divide us just because of our color. I I wanted the church to be raised up and be a light for unity and knowing that that can happen through the gospel. So that's our burden in being in this neighborhood. When we first got there, we were pretty much just an Anglo church, but by God's grace, now uh, if you come to one of our church services, it's anywhere between 50 and, 50 and 60 people, and, and, and it's fairly diverse, and we, we give all the glory to God for that, and we just want to thank you for your support, because these things are happening before us and, and encouraging our hearts. I do want to remind you, it is only possible because of partnerships with churches like yours, so uh, I do thank you for that. So, um, this morning we'll be in 1 Peter 2, and I want to start with the question, what did the Lord make you for? What did he make you for? What did he fashion 
you for? What desires and skills did God combine in you that when you do it, it glorifies God and makes you happy? So some of you, maybe as I describe this, you may think of the story of Eric Liddell, uh, the great Olympian runner who said he loved to run fast. And when he ran fast, he, he enjoyed it and he felt like he made God happy. I had this experience as well as uh, when I worked uh, at Southern Seminary. When I was at Southern Seminary full time, I was a maintenance worker. And people, till this day, they hear I'm a maintenance worker and they think I can fix anything. I'm just like, no, I was... I was a master of nothing. Uh, there, it was just, uh, I, was, I was able to piddle with this and that. And, but I worked with people who were amazing carpenters. And, and amazing at just, uh, I remember uh, watching this one guy, he used to put plaster on the wall and he would repair a wall. And it was like watching Bob Ross, you know, do art on a canvas. I mean, he was just amazing. And I'd work with these carpenters who, their knees, they'd be working on their knees all day, covered in sawdust, and working overtime just because of the fact that they loved what they were doing. And it was amazing to watch them because I was able to watch them and say, God, you have particularly made this man to do this job, and he loves it. And what if I told you today that God saved you for a purpose? That God saved you for a purpose that everyone, yes, who is a believer sitting in this room today, yes, you are being conformed into the image of Christ, that we can say that in general, but even more specifically for every person in this room, that God has saved you to open your mouth, that God has saved you to make things known, that God has saved you to proclaim things about Jesus Christ. Now, I know... What most of you are thinking right now, Lonnie has brought this missionary in from New Orleans to guilt trip us about not sharing the gospel. And that is not what is happening this morning. I actually want to share with you that I often feel weak when it comes to sharing the gospel, when it comes to proclaiming things about Christ. I often do not feel gifted at evangelism. I'm often very fearful and hesitant to share the gospel, talking about the reality of hell and talking about Uh, talking to a person about their sin, those are things that are hard for us to bring up and talk about. So I just want you to know as I preach this sermon, I preach this out of weakness, and I hope it's an encouragement even to my heart this morning as it is to yours. So my goal for this morning is to encourage us from 1 Peter 2. Though we may feel weak in evangelism and proclaiming the excellencies of Christ, though we may feel weak in that, that we would know that this is the very thing that God has saved us to do. And hear me, please, I don't want anybody to leave here feeling guilt-tripped in any way, but rather, I want your hearts encouraged in the fact that if God has made you to do something, if God has saved you to do something, if he has saved you to proclaim the excellencies of Christ, then you can have the comfort and encouragement knowing that you can do it no matter how weak you feel. That's what I want to be your encouragement this morning as we consider this text. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that we are not left in the dark, but, God, that you have revealed yourself to us through Christ. And, Lord, as we open up 1 Peter, God, we see that you have revealed yourself to us through your word. And, Father, Lord, we pray, God, that you would help us today to see, God, your glory through your amazing word, Father. I pray, God, for encouragement. Lord, I pray for even even for conviction. I pray for, Lord, as I'm preaching to this, maybe family members and co-workers will come to mind. 
Father, I pray, God, that you would encourage our hearts to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a little context before we jump into 1 Peter 2. What's important to understand about 1 Peter is this theme in 1 Peter that if we are in Christ, we have been born again. If you're in Christ, you have been born again. As dead sinners, we have received the power of the resurrection and have come to life. That's what it means to be born again. And how do we receive this power of the resurrection? Well, Peter teaches us that we have been born again by this, the living abiding word of God, the very good news of Jesus Christ. You can see this in 1 Peter 1, 22-23. He says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, how are they able to do this? How are they to love one another from a pure heart? Listen to what he says. Since you have been born again, He believes that they can do this because they've been born again. Now, how have they been born again? Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. This imperishable seed that has been sown in their hearts. So this illustration he gives is something that we understand, right? I don't know how many of you have been involved in agriculture, but as we were driving uh, across Louisiana and Texas, we saw a lot of farmland. And we're pointing this out to Bryce, and it looked like a lot of people have actually been harvesting uh, cotton here recently. But if you've never experienced agriculture, just we kind of know how it happens, but I think we kind of get used to how it happens. That you can take seeds and make a trench in the dirt and throw them in the dirt, cover them up, and then water will fall, and then fruit just burst out of the ground. I mean, it's, it's amazing, really. And, and then what he is saying right here is that the Word of God does the same thing, except this Word is not a perishable seed, but it has an ongoing work in your hearts. It's an imperishable seed that causes you to be born again and to do things that you used to not do when you were a sinful, uh, 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 hell-bent, hell-bent sinner. This is, this is what the Word of God does in our life. And friend, this is the very essence of evangelism. Sowing the gospel with the hopes that fruit will burst out of the ground. Sowing the gospel so that we may see people born again. This is the very essence of evangelism. So before we can even talk about sharing the gospel, we need to first realize that if we are sitting here this morning and we're believing this gospel We're believing it because we've been born again, and we've been born again because somebody has sown this gospel in our own hearts. And let me ask you, before we even talk about proclaiming the excellencies of Christ, who proclaimed them to you? Who who was that? Was it your grandma? Was it your mom? Was it a neighbor? Was it a teacher? Who was faithful to sow the gospel into your heart? So in chapter 2, we pick up, with this idea of what we should do in light of being born again. What should we do in light of being born again? And before we read the chapter, I want, I want to read uh, verse 9 from chapter 2. And this is kind of our verse to focus on for this morning. So chapter, nine, uh, chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Now, I want us to read chapter 2, 1 through 12, and consider this. Consider this verse in light of the, of the rest of the verses. So, starting in verse 1 of chapter 2. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual, spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture... Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, if you're a note taker, I'm going to give you five words that's going to kind of help you uh, think about this passage. And here, here, here they are. First one's worship. Second one's rejection. Third one's community. Fourth is proclaim. Fifth is sojourner. So worship. Rejection, community, proclaim, sojourner. So worship, worship. We get this from verses 1 through 3. What are we to do in light of being born again? He says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So we're putting away sin. And then he says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So Peter begins this section by saying that if you have been born again, then lead a life of repenting of sin and longing for the word of God. Putting all sin and longing for the word of God are acts of worship. For the one who's been born again, this is what they do. And brothers and sisters know this, and I think many of you would agree with me on this, that turning from sin is not just something that you did one day when you got into the baptismal. I know this as a father who was even impatient with my kids at the hotel this morning. Turning away from sin, asking for forgiveness of sin, is something that we do daily as a Christian. And you may think, well, how does this turning away from sin, how how does this build up to evangelism? What does this have to do with evangelism? And beloved, what you need to understand is that the best evangelist is the one who is not ignorant to sin, especially their own. 
Friend, if you're not aware of fighting things like malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander in your own life, then you have become deceived to the power and presence of sin. And if you're deceived about the presence of temptation and sin in your life, then listen to me, either two things are going to happen. You will either be numb to sin and have no urgency to share the gospel, or you will be a hypocrite trying to pull splinters out of other people's eyes while you have logs remaining in your own. If we have been born again, we will put off sin daily. And if we have been born again, then we will also continue to taste that the Lord is good. And we see this uh, through Romans 16, 25 as well. What builds up, what encourages our heart? The preaching of the gospel. It's hard to share the gospel if you have no gospel in your tank. You regularly need to be longing for God's word and tasting and seeing that he is good. So the, the disposition of worship that we see here is repentance and longing for God's word. Second word, rejection. Rejection. And this rejection we, we, we read of is of Christ. So we see this in uh, verse 4. The one that we're coming to, the one that we're worshiping, is Christ. And what does it say about Christ? As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Christ is the very thing that the church is being built on. He is the very cornerstone. But do you hear what it says about him? The one thing that we see that it says in this text about him is that he is rejected by men. And this is important for us to see that Christ is rejected and despised because what does that tell us about our evangelism? What does that tell us about us who are coming to Christ, following following Christ, wanting to proclaim Christ, seeing that he is rejected by men? We need to be be reminded that Our sharing of the gospel should never, never be dictated by whether someone is going to receive Christ. Christ will be rejected by many. Some will receive the gospel as the greatest news in the world, and others will scorn the gospel as foolishness. And and, and the encouraging thing for us is that the Bible assumes this. So many of you may know 1 Corinthians 1.18. What does it say about the word of the cross? 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, For the word of the cross is folly. It's foolishness. It is folly to who? To those who are perishing. But, but to us who are being saved, it is what? It is the power of God. Brothers and sisters, you need to see from the scriptures that the Bible assumes that people will think that the message of the gospel is foolish. And you need to see that so it doesn't dictate whether you share it or not. Don't forget who we worship and who our hope is built up in. Jesus was a man that was executed for the things that he claimed about himself. He was rejected and despised. And the temptation you will experience is to be ashamed to proclaim it because people in your community may think that you're a fool. Beloved, if people in your community think that you are a fool, you are in good company. People mocked Jesus in his dying moments. People cast shame and scorn upon Jesus in his dying moments. You are in good company if people call you a fool. Christ was rejected by men. He was the rejected stone by men. But what does it also say? He was the chosen 
and precious stone of God. He was chosen and precious to God. He is the very means by which God is building his church. And that's the contrast that you need to see. Many will look at this stone and say that is foolish, but it is the very means by which God is building his church. He is precious to God. Christ is precious to God. And you need to hear this as well. Let me encourage you in this, that if you are rejected for Christ's sake, take this encouragement. You are chosen and precious to God as well. In your rejection that you experience as you proclaim Jesus, you are precious to God. And though the world will try to heap shame upon you, what does verse 5 say? What does verse 5 say? You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we are being built up. I mean, isn't this amazing? We are being built up. The world may heap shame, and we are the very temple of God that's being built up. Verse 7 also says, The honor is for you who believe. Brothers and sisters, there's honor for you who believe. The world may cast shame, but the the Word of God says there's honor for you who believe. This This should encourage us in the midst of world's mockery to know that the world's mockery only lasts for but a time. But God's honor towards his people is forever. It is for all of eternity. Now you may ask, as you see this, well, I want to fight this temptation uh, of being ashamed. How, how, how can I fight this temptation and, and, and not be ashamed of the gospel? And I think there are things here that can encourage our hearts already that God will honor you and God sees you as precious in his sight. But I think Paul is also helpful to us in this. What does Paul say is the reason that he is unashamed of the gospel? Romans 1.16. Does anybody know that before I read? I'm sure many of you do. Romans 1.16. Paul says what? For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now why, what's his reason? For it is what? The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, what is a word that sticks out to you? I've read Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 1. There should be one word that sticks out to you that should encourage your hearts. And here it is. Power. Power. Paul is unashamed because of the power of the gospel. Why? Because the power working in salvation demonstrates that Jesus is no longer in the grave. The power you see at work when you see an impatient man become more patient because he's following Jesus, that is the power of the resurrection working in his life. And when you, when you see Miss Karen come up here and testify about the good works that she's seen in the, in the church, you shouldn't just conclude, well, that, that's just what we do in Texas. We just, we, just, we just care for one another. No, what, what you're hearing described are people who are not considering their own interests to serve a brother and sister in the church because the power of the gospel is at work in their lives. And, that, and when you see that, it should help you and encourage you to lead the church and say, I want to go proclaim this all the more. I'm not unashamed of this gospel. I just listened to a sister testify about its work in our church. Let me go proclaim it and be all the more unashamed of it. Next word, community, community. Verse 9. So something important to see about salvation is that salvation 
And, and I often thought of salvation as I was growing up as being just this kind of individual thing, just me and Jesus. But what do we see here? You're saved into a what? A community. A community. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You're saved into a community. God has saved you, and God has saved you into a community of believers. Listen to these words, royal priesthood, holy nation, people for his own possession. So if this is what you have been saved into, how should that shape your proclaiming of the excellencies of Christ? How should it shape it? It should shape it in this way. You shouldn't do it alone. If you're sharing the gospel with someone in the workplace, invite them over for a meal and have a friend come over from church. Share the gospel in community. Sometimes we're so hesitant to share the gospel because we think, I'm alone in this game. When really, we have been saved into a community of believers to, to proclaim this gospel together. So one example, one way I've seen this done in our church, our small church in New Orleans, is that we've had this single mom who was coming around for a while and just seeing the women in our church minister to this single, this single mom. And then we were actually able to help her find an apartment that she could afford. And then when she found this apartment, the women in our church, this woman's not a believer, the women in our church threw a housewarming party for her. She didn't even have things to furnish her home with. But yet she was still not believing. So that didn't change the way that we shared the gospel with her. And I, and I got to see a full picture of what it means to love someone outside of Christ. These women who are ready to give their time, their energy to furnish this woman's house, and yet to still tell her, you need Christ. You think you need furniture in your house. You need Christ. And it was just a beautiful picture of what it means to proclaim the gospel to someone as a community. As a community. It's the next word, and this leads into this uh, this. Uh, verse we want to focus on and this next word is proclaim proclaim verse 9 we've already read it a couple of times but we see that we're saved into this community to do what that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light god has made you his own so that you may proclaim god saved you to proclaim and proclaim what Proclaim the very excellencies of Christ. Proclaim all the good that God has done for you in Christ Jesus, particularly saving you. That is what God has saved you to do. You are to proclaim his gospel. Now, maybe somebody's visiting this morning. You say, you keep saying this word gospel. What do you mean by the word gospel? If you are visiting, this is the first time you've heard of this word. And if you have a Bible, a good, a good, simple understanding of the gospel comes from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 4. So this is, this is what we mean as a church when we talk about the gospel in its most simple form. But Paul says here, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And here it is. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that's, as Christians, that is our hope. That Christ lived, came and lived the life that we could not live. And that he died for our sins. And that he was buried and then he was raised again to life. This is the gospel. And then we don't just proclaim that gospel, but what do we see? Also in Acts 2, we call for a response to this gospel, right? So in Acts 2, Peter is proclaiming the gospel at Pentecost. And in verses 37 through 38, it says, Now when they heard this message, when they heard this, they were what? 
they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the, the apostles, Brother, what shall we do? And Peter said what to them? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we proclaim the excellencies of Christ, and we call people to follow, to repent and to be baptized. Brothers and sisters, God has saved you to proclaim, so do it. And when you do things, listen to me, when you do things that God has saved you to do, when you do things that God has fashioned you to do, you will delight in it. You will love it. And, 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 and let me, remember, I shared, I feel weak in sharing the gospel. And I have probably shared the gospel in this past year more times than I have in my, the rest of my life. And I've seen people turn away, not become Christians. But you know what? I always walk away encouraged because it's like the Holy Spirit just works in your heart to reaffirm to you, this is truth. This is real. And as scared as I feel sometimes as I go into conversations with people, I'm always reminded this gospel is glorious. And I want to be unashamed of this gospel because it has a real power working in it. What is paralyzing many of you today is a rejection that may never happen, though. That is what is paralyzing for many of you from sharing the gospel today, that, that you fear this rejection that may never happen. And what should liberate you is this, is that the God of the heavens has chosen you, has saved you to proclaim this gospel. Brothers and sisters, proclaim the excellencies of Christ. Proclaim all that he's done for you. Proclaim that I once was in darkness and God has brought me into his marvelous light. Proclaim that once I did not know mercy, but now I know mercy. Proclaim once I was not a people and now I am part of the people of God. You have so much to proclaim of what God has done for you in Christ. Last word and we'll close with this. We see that we do this as sojourners. And what, what, a, what a great word for us to hear right now. Um, as, as many of us maybe see great divide in our nation and gr- big questions about what does the future look like, we're reminded of what our most foundational identity is to this world, and it is what? You are a what? You are a sojourner. Yes, you are an American, but yes, you are a, a sojourner fundamentally. So we see this in the text. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. If you are in Christ, you proclaim the excellencies of Christ as a sojourner to this world. And and this is important for you to hear. You should feel like a stranger to this world. And you should feel like a stranger to this world because you do not indulge yourself in the very hopes and desires that this world indulges itself in. That, that's what makes you different. And it's okay for you to be strange. It's okay for you to be different. Your hope is not in what this world's hope is in. Rather, you are to live as a sojourner and keep your conduct honorable. And when you do this, this is not necessarily, I guess, the encouraging part. When you do this, people will speak of you as evildoers. 
people will speak of you as evildoers. And you need to, you need to know that. And even some of you maybe young believers uh, in the room who are in high school, there's no telling what people may say about you and say about your character. People, people may slander you. People may even do this in your workplace. But what you need to be comforted by is that you can't control these things. But there will be one day on the day of visitation. What does it say? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The text says, keep your conduct honorable. Proclaim the excellencies of Christ and know this, that even if people speak of you as evildoers, that there will be a day that when Christ comes, that they will glorify God for your life. That is amazing. And I pray for this church and I pray for the Church of New Orleans and many other churches that we are partnered with that we would be faithful to proclaim the excellencies of Christ until he returns. Let's pray that he give us the strength to do that.